Hello and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode number 63 for the week of October 7th, 2019. I'm Mike McComb and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey Ben. Hey Mike. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. And this week, we'll be talking about the curious case of flags at Eurovision. How's it going, Ben? It's good. I have been playing a lot of Untitled Goose Game, and much like that, I'm ready to get in here and honk and just mess things up. Oh, we will be such horrible geese. Uh, we over will the be next such hour horrible so. geese. Yeah. Flags. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, yeah, if you've not checked out Untitled Goose Game, uh, please, please correct that. Uh, if anything, just look at the trailers on YouTube. It's delightful i'm not sure how to use that as a transition into all of the news that has happened this week yeah i went out of town this weekend and like i step away from my computer for five minutes and two nations had picked their entries picked the artists yeah that will be their entries we knew about belgium like they were they were nice enough to like issue a press release and say we are going to announce on this day whereas spain was just like hey this guy <laughs> like that came totally out of the blue yeah spain was just out of nowhere yeah, we'll start with Belgium, since uh, they did choose first. Uh, they will be sending the group Hoover Phonic to Eurovision. They are currently touring in Europe, and uh, they are a very well-established act. Uh, they uh, formed in the mid-90s. They're an ambient pop, sort of goofing on the conventions of trip-hop. That, that was kind of their mission statement in 1995 uh, when they formed. And they released their 10th studio album, Looking for Stars, in 2018. Uh, They've had a rotation of uh, lead singers over the years. Uh, Their current lead singer is Luca Kreuzbergs, who apparently won The Voice of Flanders in 2018. That's what I, you know, while I was digging into the group and listening to to some stuff on Spotify and doing just general Googling about this group to figure out who are they and why does everybody know about them, I was like, oh, uh, a, they seem to kind of trade out uh, lead singers every couple of years, mm-hmm. and right now it's the it's the the winner of the Voice of Flanders from 2018. A number of their songs have appeared in soundtracks for like various TV shows and movies, and yeah, when I mentioned this to my husband, he was just like, "Wait, did they do a Depeche Mode cover?" And I was like, "I don't know. I haven't had a chance to dig into their catalog." And yeah, he has a Depeche Mode compilation CD that has Hoover Phonic on it, so they've been around. This is a very interesting choice for Belgium, and I'm kind of excited to see how this one turns out. I had kind of jokingly noted to you in, in like our little communication Slack thing that oh. Oh, the neighbors are hosting, and Belgium wants to make a good impression. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like the Netherlands is hosting a picnic, and Belgium does not want to have their potato salad rejected again. <laughs> but uh, this feels like a group with a decent pedigree. Like, I'm excited to see what they do. From what I've heard, like it doesn't feel super Eurovisiony, but that's I don't know. That's not necessarily a, a bad thing. I think, especially in the last few years, Alex Collier, uh, one half of that group, wrote Senex a matter of time, and. Even though I didn't love that performance, I thought the song had like a good sense of drama. Yeah, and it didn't have the sense of melancholy that like Blanche or Elliot brought. Yeah, in, in the odd numbered years. So I'm intrigued by this. Although something that you did mention, uh, I guess there was an interview where it seemed like they may be going kind of the Salvador music should be about meaning and not fireworks. Yeah, place. there was like so. there was like one quote from them that got that kind of scooched to the edge of we make real music for whatever that means in the year of our Lord 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, 
where I was just like, guys, just just go to the Eurovision and send a good song, and like, I don't care. All we know at this point about the song is they're planning on releasing it in February, along with everybody else. So, uh, so TBD on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very glad that they didn't just completely release everything at this point. They they have a band, they they have a demo, presumably, and they can just sort of workshop it and polish it for February. Yes, yes. So looking forward to hearing uh, what they have. Uh, so what's the deal with Spain? So Spain has chosen to not do Operation Triunfo this year. We, we had already known that, but they uh, decided to just rip the Band-Aid off this weekend and said, yes, we're sending Blas Canto, to which I went, who is Blas Canto? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it turns out he is 27 years old and has tried to represent Spain before, first at Junior Eurovision in 2004, but he was not selected then. Uh, Spain did win that year, so that appears to have been the right choice. Uh, and then uh, he's mostly known for being part of the boy band Orin until they split in 2016. Uh, that boy band tried to represent Spain in 2011 and finished in the top three. Uh, and then I was dipping through a few of his like post boy band songs and it feels like he has range because i assumed that spain was going to go all ballady again because spain does have a tendency to go kind of ballady mm-hmm. but he can do up tempo too okay after the announcement like uh, hopped onto spotify and uh tried to listen to some of his tracks and i guess we just got the random assortment of all of the ballads because mm-hmm. my my note afterwards was like yeah he really needs to do something up tempo <laughs> and yeah, like uh, there is th- a chance on the plus side, it feels like a very strong choice for Spain. His album went to number one in Spain last year. And speaking of number ones, he is the number one Blas on FamousBirthdays.com. <laughs> which I'm so glad that Who Weekly brought the, the Famous Birthdays website into my life. It is yeah. so dumb. Yeah. and But I, I I did click on that to see just like how many other Blas uh, he beat out for the title. And th- there were two others that were referenced. One was a, either a rugby player or a soccer player, and then the other one was a drummer. So it's legit. Number one Blas. Okay. So, and, yeah. he is the number one, and he is the number 40 singer born in Spain. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Good for yeah. him. That's that's up there. Yeah. Uh, hopefully there'll be some more impressive stuff on his resume as we learn more about him. So <laughs> Yeah, and then Spain has not really given us any timeline for when we are going to know what his song is like or or any of that, but that's fine because it's still October. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we are uh, a little too far ahead of schedule. We, we don't need to get into a hurry up and wait situation. So. Yeah, like <laughs> it's early enough and there's plenty of time. And then what I thought was going to be the big story this week, Jan Olasand announced that uh, this upcoming Eurovision will be the last where he is the scrivener and executive supervisor of the contest. This upcoming contest will be the 10th time that he served in that role. So that's a really good run. Yeah, especially given all of the excitement, we'll say, (laughs) of the last couple of contests. Uh, I I think he's deserved a break. So... (laughs) Yeah, uh, he's going to move on to NRK, uh, Norway's broadcaster. I believe that's where he was before. Yeah, uh, he was handling like the Norway participant side of things and then became Grand Poobah of all things Eurovision and now is going to go back to NRK in some role that does not involve Eurovision, which good for him moving on to new challenges. Yeah, exciting for him, kind of sad for us because like, I don't know, he's just this sort of cult presence at the contest where it's like oh everything's going to be okay even if mm-hmm. the results go all topsy-turvy well as, yeah and like as we have discussed previously <laughs> i feel like yeah and like a couple episodes ago like i was like i can't think of what his the, the proper name for his role is so i just refer to it as the yanolasant 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no word yet on who could possibly replace him. People did ask if Christer Bjorkman is gunning for that position because that seems like an obvious choice. But uh, he says he's not interested in the job. We'll, we'll see if and how that changes uh, as the 2020 contest grows closer. And it seems like Christer Bjorkman has... A lot of projects going on, so it's like a lot of irons in the uh, in his fire. Hopefully, this year will be an exciting and fun challenge, and not a frustrating challenge uh, for uh, Yano Lasan's last go round uh, in this role. I imagine that he's picked this one per- particularly because after last year, this just seems like a piece of cake. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully. <laughs> again, uh, it's only October. It's only October. <laughs> uh, we are still trying to figure out, uh, as I sort of root around in the grab bag of other Eurovision news things. Like, we're still waiting to figure out how many countries we have. Uh, currently, mm-hmm. we are at thirty-eight countries yes. participating in this year's contest. Poland has finally said yes. In addition to hosting this year's Junior Eurovision, uh, we will also be participating in next year. Which, yay! Uh, we are still waiting to hear on Bulgaria, who had said that they were going to tell us if they were playing or not in September. And it is just checking the, the calendar here on my computer. October 7th. Yeah. We, we are currently on the 37th day of September. Yeah. So <laughs> at any point, we, we could hear from them. Looking ahead to some other things, Eurovision and concert tickets go on sale Friday. That will be happening in Amsterdam, as always, even though the, the contest proper is in Rotterdam. And then two other pieces. One thing that I cannot believe that we have not talked about, and one thing that we de- I have definitely talked about in lots of places. Uh, so Spotify is rolling out uh, just sort of how-tos and helpful tips for, for burgeoning podcasters. And they have some really cool articles around that. And they're talking with, like, Madeline Barron of In the Dark on how to find the story. And they're talking to, like, sound engineers on how to make things sound good. And they're talking to, like, some random Eurovision podcast about how to plan out a season. Hmm. Yeah. Is it one that we've and, heard like, of? <laughs> yeah yes yes you're soaking in it uh oh, they, right. they talked yeah they talked to us and i had fun answering questions for that and i was really happy to see what that turned into mm-hmm. and like it's kind of cool that again we are it is it is uh big names of like in the dark and then there's like our little dog and pony show uh talking about eurovision so there's that yeah and then the other one that i cannot believe that we did not discuss and part of it is just there's there's been so much all of a sudden. Uh, but in current events, uh, Greta Thunberg has been doing a lot of awesome climate change protest stuff. And it turns out that uh, her mom is Sweden's 2009 entry. I mean, I figure it's just part of like Sweden's conscription that everybody will represent either represent Sweden or at least compete at Melody Festival in like it's either mm-hmm. that or military service. Yeah, her mom is Malena. Uh, is Malena Mil- Ermit. Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, this popped up on like last Friday's Who Weekly of all places, mm-hmm. and, I, and yeah. all of a sudden I was like, "How have we not mentioned this on the show?" Yeah, well, yeah, we've we've. It, it's kind of hard to shoehorn that into talking about like the 1979 contest. Like it's just true. Like, true. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, we've had but... very focused the last few episodes, so just needed like a good grab bag of things. Yeah, I guess we're going to go into another hyper focused topic of flags let's talk flags uh (laughs) so one of the things that i noticed in the 1979 contest uh, when we were watching it was that flags weren't really part of the presentation the way that they are today like i Mm -hmm. I think i think there were flags in the green room but it seemed much more like incidental and 
I'm sure everybody just kind of brought them from home to decorate their table or whatever. Like, yeah, it wasn't... Well, yeah, well, yeah, and like the green room, it just kind of felt like you were looking at a hallway backstage. Right, exactly. And I mean, it very well could have been just the hallway backstage. But in the audience, everybody was wearing either tuxes or gowns and were like dressed to go to the symphony, probably because there was an orchestra in the room. And yeah, so you didn't have like people like waving flags at the camera or anything like that. Flags just seem like such a big deal now that I kind of wanted to look into, like, when did flags kind of become a thing at Eurovision? Okay. So I started off by just trying to find, like, the earliest instances of flags. And, like, that... I did not watch every single Eurovision from like 1980 up to today because believe it or not, I do have a life. But uh, <laughs> it's um, just kind of doing like a random sampling of the major performances, uh, like winners' performances, that sort of thing. The earliest instance that I could kind of see flags as being more central to the presentation was in 1982 when the giant scoreboard with all the countries listed uh had flags next to each country but it was kind of like a light bright in its setup only all of the bulbs were like a normal incandescent bulb instead of like the colors of the flags so it was really horribly rendered but you could sort of get the idea of what they were going for there the nice part about most of the flags of europe is that they're just various stripe patterns Right. Uh, It it gets a little trickier when you start getting the uh, emblems, uh, particularly once the uh, former Yugoslav republics uh, enter the picture and they all have the family crests on there. Yeah. Again, there weren't swarms of people like waving flags in the audience. Like you could see an occasional hand flag or two, like you'd see at like a Memorial Day parade uh, where people just like waving the the small flags. And like you could see one or two like in the 83 contest uh, and like the earliest contests that had graphics of flags where it's like oh no we're being actually intentional about this was in 1985 which feels kind of recent i mean i know that's like almost that is that is 35 years ago but yeah that's 35 years ago it's possible that there were earlier uh indications of this but i mean nobody was necessarily going to write about flags like in newspapers and like doing any sort of internet research about this was just like yeah it's just not going to happen because like you did not have the whole content mill aspect of like having to fill up space like unless there was like flag burning or something happening at the contest it probably wasn't going to make the front page of any major uh newspaper it's possible there may have been earlier examples of flags but the point is flags weren't really considered part of the visual presentation of the show okay And this makes sense since Eurovision was also broadcast on the radio. Like, it was just as much a radio broadcast as it was a television broadcast. So Mm -hmm. a visual component such as flags, not really helpful on an audio medium. And the audience wasn't really explicitly part of the television presentation either, at least the way that the audience is part of it today. Like, you didn't have anybody at the 1991 contest, like, doing stage dives as part of the show or asking for the power to be turned off so that people could sing to the music. From what I could find, the more pronounced presence of flags didn't really happen until around the year 2000, which coincides with when Eurovision was streaming online for the first time. Okay, that that makes sense to me, that that sort of as the contest widens, that that maybe becomes more of a, a visual motif. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just like an easier way of kind of seeing which team is which, like 
uh, they're not all going to be wearing like red t-shirts or green t-shirts or anything like that. But if they have a flag that they are all kind of clinging to, that's it's easier to identify who's team Italy or team Israel or team Germany, that sort of thing. Okay. The thing is, 2000 also had a flag controversy. So so Israel's group Ping Pong uh, sent the song Samea. It was a controversial entry for a number of reasons. Uh, the official video, which, Ben, I sent you the official video. Yeah, you, well, you sent me a very specific set of links for, yeah. for this week's show. And I kind of love the video for this song because it feels like it was made with $5 in the nearest community center. <laughs> and that everybody got extremely high beforehand. So here's the thing. Like, it's such Europop. And it's so... It is, oh, that that was like my other note is that this this song and the visual presentation and the official video is just so two thousand exactly like, like I could pit like ah uh, it was and like I kind of I don't know I've been in like a weird mood lately where I've been listening to a lot of like nineties and two thousands like this specific this specific terrible pop sound mm. of just vaguely trancey sort of stuff I really dug this in a way I was not expecting to yeah well. And that's the thing, like, uh, 2000, I was a junior in high school, and if I had heard this song, I would have probably been like, oh, man, this is amazing. Like, Europe, like, like just been so over the moon about it, and just like, oh, man, this is the future. Uh, and, like, just the fashion alone in the video, it was like, yeah, that that was what we were wearing at the time, and yeah, I, I can't explain or justify what we were thinking, but well, uh, yeah. Yeah, and like, so one thing I've been thinking about a lot recently, and part- and mostly just due to having seen the movie Hustlers, mm. is, is thinking about what kind of music and what kind of visual cues we're going to be using to specifically spell out the 2000s and the 2010s. Because mm-hmm. I was just blown away at how quickly they evoked 2008 and two- 2013 in that movie just with music choices and styling choices. Mm-hmm. And I was just watching this video, I was like, oh, yeah, no, this is 2000. Just, like, wearing, wearing a T-shirt over a long sleeve shirt. Yeah, yep, yep, this is this is exactly what I was doing at that time. It is kind of a delightful time capsule. But, I mean, the video itself was controversial in ways that don't, like, if it were done today, it would just be like, what, it, like, what? Uh, like, there was, there was same-sex smooching in the video, which I imagine caused, like, quite a ruckus. I saw that in the video and thought nothing of it. And then immediately I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is from 2000. That was a deal. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then in the video, like towards the end, they're like waving little flags. And uh, one is the flag of Israel. The other is the flag for Syria. Israel and Syrian relations have not been great really ever. Things were just particularly tense at that time. So uh, I guess it was just kind of more front of mind being like, oh, no, we want like world peace uh, or at least peace with Syria and gay rights. And it's like, okay, maybe pick one or the other like this. You're not really going to be able to be able to negotiate both at, at with this exact uh, entry. Yeah. So that was kind of a big deal. They go to Eurovision and in the rehearsal for their performance, the end of their performance also features the waving of flags. And Israel's official response to that, I don't know her. Uh, they completely <laughs> <laughs> they completely disavow their entry. Like, they're just like, 
okay, yep, they're on their own. We might be sending them a bill for reimbursing their flight to Sweden uh, for that year's contest. And yeah, this is a quote from The Guardian. As soon as we got off the stage, the faxes started coming from Israel saying not to appear with the Israeli and Syrian flags, said Etienne Fox, the band's artistic director who choreographed the offending performance. Uh, It started with sexual provocation, and now it has turned to political provocation, said Gil Samsonov, chairman of the Israeli Broadcasting Authority. What is this meant to be about? Everyone knows that the Israeli people want peace with Syria. There was a lot going on in this performance, and it was also the first one of the night. So, uh, <laughs> oh wow, yeah, yeah, there, it, uh, it packed a punch. So, <laughs> okay, I'm I'm going to need to go back to that just because I want to. Well, I I also just want to see like what how how do you move from the video, which is just a very specific kind of goofy, to a stage performance for this? Yeah, the stage performance is maintaining that goofy vibe uh i mean okay. it's it's a perfectly harmless performance uh it, it's not earth shattering either so yeah um yeah like but it was it was a time where it's like oh yeah flags are kind of a big deal at eurovision but it's also points to how the early 2000s were an organizational time for the ebu Mm-hmm. So up to this point, each contest was its own thing. Like there wasn't like a grand uh, like marketing plan for any of them. Like each bro- uh, each host broadcaster would come up with the logo, come up with the theme, come up with uh, all of yeah, the designs. Sort of started an- started anew essentially. Right. Like in 1996, it was called the Euro Song instead of the Eurovision Song Contest. And this was also the time when the Big Four were introduced. A couple of years later, the semifinals started coming into play. So it was it was difficult to build momentum or build a larger audience around it because it's just like, oh, each year it's just like a completely new idea that's being presented instead of this consistent theme. So in 2004, they introduced the generic Eurovision Song Contest logo. So the one with the O heart design. Okay, yeah, because I had been thinking about that for when I was looking at 1979, 1980, just with Morocco and thinking, okay, but when did we get the heart? Mm-hmm. And I knew it was like sometime in the last 20 years. That was in uh, 2004. And then that was also when they started incorporating the flag into the logo of not just the host countries, but really any country, like t- just to symbolize, oh, we're talking about Eurovision in a non-infringement sort of way with this like generic logo. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, oh, this has to do with Greece. Fine. We'll have the Greece flag in there. Oh, this has to do with Bulgaria. Bulgaria's flag. It's just very consistent marketing, which which is mm-hmm. important. Yeah, this is also when Junior Eurovision in, uh, started to become a thing, and I know we don't talk about Junior Eurovision on this podcast, but it's important to mention that uh, part of the 2004 presentation uh, introduced the like Parade of Nations at the start of the show, which didn't happen at like for realsies Eurovision until 2013, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, but again, that's like incorporating flags into the presentation. Um, now. A few years later, and this doesn't really have to do with flags directly, but the United Kingdom uh, sent the song Flying the Flag to Eurovision. But and also we need to discuss this. Yeah, because it's like if we don't talk about it, I know that like our Twitter is just going to be hit up. It's like, oh, did you know that you're, that uh, UK sent a song called Flying the Flag? And it's like, yes. Yes, we do. Yes, yes we know. Yes. So, uh, yes. Yeah, so and now you all must know about it because we had to sit through it. <laughs> so. to, to quote a popular Twitter post format, I had to see this with my eyes and now so do you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, 
yeah, and this uh, was kind of a mess from the get-go. Uh, so UK had a national final that year called uh, Making Your Mind Up, uh, named after the Bucks Fizz song. Uh, and yeah, it came down to uh, the finalists of Scooch and Cindy. And Ben, I hope you watched this clip. Of, oh, I absolutely uh, watched this clip because you had one job, Terry Wogan. You had one yeah, job. Oh, man. It was just... It, it was like by far the cringiest thing that I think I've experienced watching reality television in, in quite some time, but it's down to the final two. They're about to announce the winner. They go into the whole vamping thing of being like, okay, and the winner who will fly to Helsinki to compete on May 14th or whatever the date was is Finland. Yeah. Yeah. And they have two hosts. One is Terry Wogan. uh, One is Uh, Fern Cotton. Ah, thank you. On the count of three, announce who the winner is. And they both say a different dang name. Yeah. Terry Wogan says Cindy and the other host says Scooch. Of course, there's confusion. Uh, and then it's just like, oh, no, it's actually Scooch. And... Yeah, there's that beautiful moment where like both both of the performers have heard both names called and are very confused. And it's... Yeah, very, very confused. Both, both show disappointment because they both think that the other person won. Uh, and then it's announced like officially that Scooch had won. Like, they try to console Cindy and just be like, oh, you you came so close. And, like, she is escorted off the stage and she looks so mad. And, like, justifiably yes. so. Justifiably <laughs> mad. And, and that's the, the clip, which we'll have in our show notes, ends with her, like, kind of stomping off stage. Just like, oh, man, which, how did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, can we talk about the song, though? Because... Uh, I feel like on the on our program we have talked about the UK's performance in the last decade or so mm-hmm. in in you know in like multiple episodes at this point, and I keep trying to figure out where rock bottom is, and I think I may argue for two thousand seven now because <sighs> the song is so bad. Yeah, and and the thing is, like, the entry was not well received by the public. I mean, it it did okay on the charts, probably like as a novelty single, because UK's funny that way sometimes. But Charlotte Church, the Charlotte Church, uh, weighed in on the quality of the song, uh, calling it absolute shit. <laughs> oh yeah, and she. The thing I love about her is is yeah. voice of an angel, but also the mouth of a sailor. Yes, um, exactly. And yeah. uh, but also <laughs> this ah oh, this song like I was actively mad having to listen to this song again, and it it does nothing like it's trying to be camp and failing, and it's there's this like weird flight attendant announcements that don't work for if you're just listening to the song. You need the visuals, and the visuals are also just tacky and bad. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> and it also does a thing that I think. Every so often, a country tries it, and it never works, so they need to stop trying it, where they just list a bunch of, per- of cities of countries mm-hmm. that are participating in the contest, because they've done it. Uh, the Dutch did it with Shalali. It just never works. Like, any time where, you just, where like, your whole bit is that you're naming a place that either the contest is taking place in, or that it's just countries taking place, it never works. And that's not limited to Eurovision. Like, in... Pop music, it's just a terrible trope. Like, I, I there's that, like, one Huey Lewis uh, in the news song that that does the same thing. And it's just like, no, you're just listening to cities. And, like, you can just kind of tell that it's like, well, we need one more track for the album. And, well, I think the only time that it has worked is I've Been Everywhere. Yeah, that song kind of drives me nuts. <laughs> okay. Okay, fair. But, like, that but, is, like, the one time it has thing, come close but... to working. 
Charlotte's criticism aside, this song was also accused of plagiarism. There's this uh, Swedish singer, Pandora, who said that, like, the melody stole from their song. And I listened to the clip that will also be in our show notes. I don't think they're wrong, but it's also just this, like, super generic, like, 2000s thing. And that's the other thing. Like, this song was from 2007, and, like, the Israeli song from 2000 that we talked about earlier, like... That is a better song. It's like, oh, that, why have we regressed? What is going that on? Just, yeah, like that feels fresher to me. And uh-huh. I think part of it could just be that that trends are cyclical and we're seeing like, artists kind of play around in that space again. So it's fresh to me again. But also just, it's just so bad. And it's just, it is just kind of soulless machine pop of like, this is what we think you like. This is what the algorithm says. Yeah, uh, but they did get 12 points from Malta. Malta always gives the UK 12 points. That means nothing. Well, here's the thing. It's the first 12 that the UK got from any country since 2002. So, like, that's the end of a five-year drought. (laughs) Second, it was a protest vote from Malta, complaining about block voting and the the televoting system. So, like, they only gave 12 points to the UK just to throw their points away. (laughs) It's like, oh, man. Oh, wow, that makes it hurt more. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, that's that's so mean, and I love it. Yeah. Who, who knew that Malta was so salty? But <laughs> uh, so yeah, that song finished twenty uh, second out of twenty four countries. Oh, tied for twenty second out of twenty four countries. So, um, congrats. Uh, but it did reach number five on the UK charts. So, what does anybody know? Uh, Look, I have listened to <laughs> I have listened to that uh, to uh, hit parade about the the Christmas number one. The UK likes to mess around with the charts, mm-hmm. but even that song like didn't really incorporate flags into the presentation all that much, and you still didn't really see flags as part of performances. Uh, like the one entry that jumped to mind uh, was Ukraine's two thousand nine entry, where Svetlana is pushed across the stage while she's playing the drums and there's two Ukrainian flags like hanging from the drum kit. Like you don't see people like running around waving flags like during any of the performances and getting into just sort of explicit presentation of flags as part of the Eurovision program. The 2011 opening performance of the grand final, where you had the army of Lena's, uh, like waving the flags of all the countries participating in the grand final that year. I don't know. That was just such an indelible image for me. Mm-hmm. In 2012, you have Azerbaijan hosting and uh, introducing each act. They would light up the crystal hall to match the colors of the flag. And then, uh, like, as I mentioned earlier, in 2013, Sweden added the Parade of Nations to the opening ceremony presentation. And that's been a tradition that's carried on uh, since then. And then in 2014, flags really became central to the Eurovision performance. So you had uh, Jessica Malboy uh, performing the song Sea of Flags. Uh, at at the grand final, it ends with the Aboriginal flag. Uh, that that's pretty neat, and that was just kind of the precursor to Australia joining the contest. And then that was also the year where all of the postcards were the contestants, were the artists, like, yeah, being asked to make a representation of their flag. Yeah, and that was such a cool idea for a postcard. Yeah. Like uh, like I think of Conchitas, where it's just like the racks of dresses that are white and red or comes to mind for me uh mm. where uh their singer got a tattoo of the bird 
on her back. Oh yeah, for Albania, yeah, yeah. And then it was and... like, and now we're just gonna hold a red piece of of see through paper, mm-hmm. and there's our flag. I got a yeah. tattoo. Yeah. On my back. <laughs> uh, and yep. then I, just because I am an Iceland fan through and through, like that they went to one of the big waterfalls with a projector and we're just like, we did this. There were so many cool ideas there. And it really just kind of attached like national identity to each of the performances, which I thought was really cool. Um, and it's also a little less controversial than think it was in 2010 where they had like projections of maps that like floated above there but some of the maps were slightly inaccurate due to like territorial disputes and yeah so countries got uh cranky about that and it's like uh, maybe maybe something that doesn't involve land borders in the presentation (laughs) yeah like if you guys cannot do that that would be great in 2015 that's when they introduced the hash flag integration so if you were watching eurovision and live tweeting at the same time uh and you use the country code uh, that they had uh, on the hashtag on the screen your hashtag in your tweet would have the heart logo with that country's flag in it. I don't know. If you're extremely online, that's kind of a neat feature. As, as, as someone who is extremely online, I was about to say, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, just give, gives your tweets a little bit of pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back back when Twitter was fun to be on. Uh, <laughs> was fun and not just like a constant terror machine that I keep scrolling. 2015 also had its own bit of controversy uh, involving flags. So Russia was performing in the first semifinal. And in the performance, like when it builds up to the first chorus, there was this sort of swoop in shot uh, that was just supposed to zoom in on Paulina Gagarina. And a group of protesters were holding up rainbow flags in such a way that it ruined the shot. But Done done in a way where it's just like, oh, no, they just happen to be standing there with flags. It was just like kind of poor planning on the camera person's part, but just blocked her face during this like important swoop shot in their presentation. And Russia did not have fun at the 2015 contest, I think was the uh, moral of that story, because uh, they had to it. There was so much booing that like Austria had to kick in their anti-booing technology. <laughs> <laughs> And I forget why I was Googling about that, but I did read recently about anti-booing technology at Eurovision. It was like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, right, yeah. Yeah, and there's like that whole, that scene in the green room uh, during the grand final where she's where Paulina's just sobbing and Conchita's just like, no, you deserve to be winning the contest right now. Because like she did give a fantastic performance for a song that's still like, it's very eurovisiony but it's very good eurovisiony mm-hmm. and yeah like i i i think she got kind of a bum deal there even though she, like, she kind of did although in rewatching the in rewatching the presentation uh i had forgotten that she had like a light-up dress with stuff going on and i was mm-hmm. like okay so that's been that's been like a thing that's that that we nobody can do that now anymore we've done that enough yeah yeah so because of the whole flag incident uh Eurovision decided that they needed to kind of update and sort of formalize their flag policy. Everything was kind of informal to this point, but yeah, they actually published a flag policy. And I don't know if it was supposed to be publicly released, or at least the version that was leaked to blogs might not have been the public facing version. But yeah, it included like size requirements for flags. And that's something that's still in place. It's like, yeah, we don't want somebody to bring like 
a 30 foot banner to the contest but yeah something of an appropriate size that you can like wave in front of the camera if the camera's pointing at you you are not allowed to recreate york's globe dress from the 2004 olympics opening ceremony exactly and yeah like official national flags of the 42 participating countries that makes sense flags of countries that have recently taken part so like turkey because they want turkey to come back to the contest uh portugal took the year off that year so it would have been fine to wave the portugal flag romania was supposed to compete but they were uh disqualified so that flag would have been okay official national flags of other countries provided that they're a member of the united nations that starts getting into kind of mm, territory (laughs) um this is my favorite one Rainbow flags and the European Union flag will be tolerated, provided they will not be used as a tool to intentionally make a political statement during the show. Do not wave your flag politically. (laughs) And that one just is bonkers to me, (laughs) just because it's just like a flag is a political symbol. Like, there's Mm -hmm. no way there's no way you can get around that. That is literally what a flag is. It yeah. Is, this is our nation, and this is a symbol of our nation. Particularly the rainbow flag. Like, uh, we won't get into the whole history of the rainbow flag, but it was just like, no, it was, like, commissioned by Harvey Milk to, like, create an identity and something for a group of people to rally behind so that they could forward their political needs. And... Yeah. Continuing on with the official rule, uh, particularly the organizers request and urge the fan community to respect and appreciate the non-political nature of the Eurovision Song Contest. And in parentheses, drink. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for that and that was so delightful. Like the rainbow flag thing, it's like, yeah, it's not going to be non-political, like no matter which side you're on. Uh, The definition of a flag also just makes this rule kind of bonkers uh but then uh the listing also had flags that would not be permitted and those included flags of like breakaway regions flags of countries that aren't like they're not breakaway regions but they're not like separate nations necessarily but they're not not breakaway regions right like whales like <laughs> and 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 that was a problem because uh one of the contestants representing the uk was welsh and it's like yeah i would like my friends and family to be able to wave the flag of my homeland please and then they also uh included like the flag for the islamic state and um yeah that that's kind of like I I can understand why you do not want that flag waved, particularly because it is uh, just a very poorly designed flag. Uh, There's Roman Mars did a TED talk about flag design. And one one of the rules is don't have text on your flag. And uh, yeah, the IS flag just breaks so many of those rules. Anyway, aesthetics aside, the problem with including like a group that is recognized as like a terrorist organization also means that other countries that are on that list or other regions that are on that list, such as the Basque country or Palestine, or just being like, okay, um, we don't necessarily want to be grouped in with Islamic state, please. Could, could we not? And yeah, like the Spanish embassy had to get involved with trying to get this flag policy at least reworded so that it wasn't so insensitive to groups that probably up until this point were maybe ambivalent about Eurovision, but just being like, uh, hey, not cool, guys. <laughs> so, yeah, but that's not where the hijinks with the flag policy lived in 2016. Instead, it happened with Armenia in the first semifinal. 
That was the year that uh, Iveta Mukachan did Love Wave. Awesome, awesome performance. There were holograms. It was great. And during one of the recap segments, uh, during the first semifinal, she waved the flag for the Nagorno-Karabakh region, while everyone else... In their party waved the normal Armenian flag. Right. While Googling around trying to figure out what I was going to do for for Flag Week for food on, Mm -hmm. on our little side hustle of posting pictures of food on Instagram like everybody does mm-hmm. uh, was trying to make sure what I had planned was appropriate and that's when I discovered that there is a page on Wikipedia called Armenia-Azerbaijan Relations in the Eurovision Song Contest Ooh, yeah. there are enough of them that it has a separate page Yeah, the short version is that it's a whole deal and that region is contested they, they have whole like that's why the 2010 maps were not good because mm-hmm. That is a land that they both lay claim to. It is contentious. Uh, The 2012 contest, Armenia sat out because Azerbaijan was the host. Yeah, it just really gets into another rabbit hole of history that we will not explore uh, in this because this is already running rather long. But Mm -hmm. the short version of it is the region in discussion here uh, was swapped around during the Stalin era as a way to placate Turkey as the Soviet Union was forming. And as the USSR was breaking down, the conflict over that region really started heating up, and there was like full-scale fighting that started in about 1992. I'm not sure where the dividing line is between like war and skirmish, or like the the technical military terms, but it was like lives were lost. It was a very big deal, and it's still a major issue and the core to like why Armenia and Azerbaijan are not friends at the contest. And there was a clash in April of 2016. So it was very fresh in everybody's mind. And the thing with the Nagorno-Karabakh flag is it is very similar to the Armenian flag. So the Armenian flag has like the red, blue, and yellow stripe. And the Nagorno-Karabakh flag has this sort of, it's not quite a chevron, but it's like if you were trying to make a triangle with white Legos and like Mm -hmm. just this kind of like stair-step pattern on the side. So it would be very easy to sneak that flag flag in just like fold it up in such a way where it's like oh yeah it's just like another armenian flag and then start waving it when the camera's right on you and um yeah like and she was not being coy about it she does not strike me as a coy person in general but no 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 there were a whole bunch of shenanigans that were happening particularly in the first semifinal like there was like a russian voting like jury vote thing that was going on and uh yano lasand was pretty much at the point of being like, if you don't stop this, we're going to turn the car around and there's no <laughs> Grand Canyon for anybody. So, yeah. yeah, so there were no hijinks at the grand final. but And it was particularly, I don't know, tense is the right word, but Armenia and Azerbaijan were both in the first semifinal that year. So that was probably awkward at the uh, snack table. So... Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, there weren't any flag controversies in 2017 or 2018, at least nothing that jumped to mind. Like the only flag thing I could think of that happened in either of those contests, Moldova's outfits in 2018 were of the same colors as the Moldovan flag, which I thought was just a cute touch. But mm-hmm. uh, like, the, yeah, like that happens yeah. a lot. And it's just fun mm-hmm. and on brand and I love it. Yeah, yeah. And it's very cute. It like just adds to the cuteness of that performance. Uh so you jump to 2019, and uh, are you aware of any flag controversies that have happened in 2019? Uh, excessively, perhaps. <laughs> uh, perhaps I, I don't know. I was yeah. watching it all summer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in our last episode, we mentioned how Iceland's broadcaster was fined because of Hatari waving a Palestinian banner during their scores presentation. 
And also Madonna having Palestinian flag on the back of one of her dancers. We're not going to go into the full history of the Israeli-Palestine conflict. Again, we are running long and also that's a different program entirely. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Like, we we may already be out of our depth, but... Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I am, I am so ill-equipped to discuss that particular issue. But it was definitely, like, the elephant in the room for the entirety of the 2019 season. So had it not come up with Atari, that would have been... I think that would have been more shocking uh, than anything yeah. else. But just to give kind of the short Eurovision history of what was going on, or at least some context, uh, shortly after Israel won Eurovision in 2018, at the same time, the U.S. embassy moved to Jerusalem. There had already been an uptick in conflicts leading up to this event. The embassy move was a flashpoint in protests. Uh, Some protesters were killed, uh, a lot of injuries, that sort of thing. Like, it's just been, like, a heightened state of conflict during that time. Hertz, uh, one of the news outlets in Israel, uh, reported that police had been cracking down on public displays of the Palestinian flag, and a law had also been proposed to just ban the flag outright, even at protests, with a protest being defined as any gathering of three or more people. So that's a lot. And uh, then you have Hatari entering the contest uh, with a very particular point of view. And after the incident at the grand final, they were interviewed on Icelandic television uh, to just kind of talk about the incident, what happened, how they got the banners into the venue in the first place. And and one of the important distinctions that they brought up was like the distinction between like a flag and a banner, because they weren't waving Palestinian flags. They were they not were waving, waving. Yeah, they were waving like scarves. Right. Scarves that had the same design elements as the flag. But it raises the question, of, like, is that a distinction without a difference or like what mm-hmm. like what that means? But like they had to smuggle in these banners they had some assistance from the folks at uh, icelandic music news well yeah because they had been doing that entire series of videos for like two weeks where Mm -hmm. they would be doing kind of like goofy things on one day and then like the next day we'd be like oh yeah by the way uh we're talking to a bunch of palestinian people about why they're not excited about the contest because they can't really go anywhere and it's a horrible situation it sounded incredibly tense like the entire two-week period. After they held their protest during the score presentation, their flags were confiscated, and I I couldn't get a sense if they were escorted from the venue or if they were leaving on their own or if they were escorted and they were leaving on their own. I'm not sure. But, like, they didn't even realize that the Netherlands had won the contest. Like, they were congratulating Sweden on the way out. Yeah, they congratulated Sweden. Um, If you go to, uh, in our uh, Facebook presence... Uh, Mm. He has a video from, like, in the green room, and it feels intensely tense. It was a situation. But uh, shortly after the contest, uh, Hatari released a song with uh, Bashar Murad uh, called Klefi Samed. uh, And throughout, like, the video... A major portion of the video has like waving the Palestinian flag while wearing the outfits that they wore in filming their Eurovision postcard. So there's a lot to digest in that music video. In the interview that they did on Icelandic television, and this is based on a translation, so it may not be a a 
fully accurate quote, but uh, for us, this was just a banner, and in Iceland, we can wave all banners we like. It is just a banner, but not all people see it like this. That statement makes like full sense to me, just knowing that Iceland is is one of the nations that does represent that does recognize Palestine as a separate mm-hmm. nation. It's interesting how Eurovision kind of wants to have it both ways, where they just well, like they want this like visual presence and sort of team sports nature about it where Mm -hmm. it's just like oh yeah i just want to wave the the pennant for my like the home team or the visiting team or what have you but it's so politically charged and if they're trying to be a non-political contest i'm not sure how how to reconcile that Mm -hmm. and these were just a handful of incidents over 20 years so it's a lot to digest and it's just something that's really interesting to think about and that there are sort of threads connecting all of them like any of the flag incidents are pretty much connected to some other form of conflict that is happening outside of the contest and yeah i'm not i'm not entirely sure what to make of it like i don't have like a grand thesis statement other than huh this is a thing to look at Mm -hmm. (laughs) so well no and like i think you raised an excellent point with just uh, it feels like they're trying to have it both ways. Like they, mm. they cannot have you, – you can't have flags without talking about what flags mean. Right. It doesn't feel like it's a problem that needs solving. But at the same time, it's just like maybe Eurovision should stop being so surprised by these sort of things. Yeah, do, so do flags, any... everyone. Flags. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just just full like radio announcer voice. Just flags, everybody. Yeah. So um... – yeah, and in terms of flag policy, like there hasn't been any sort of announcement of like a new policy for 2020. Like the 2016 one went over like a lead balloon. So we'll see if there's any sort of repercussions for this year's flag incident or if it's just going to be same old, same old. Just make sure it's not too big and doesn't block the cameras. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Euro What. Thanks for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Mike McComb, that's me, and Ben Smith. That's me. You can flag us on our website at eurowhat.com and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at eurowhat. We'd love to hear your questions and comments. Be sure to subscribe to the eurowhat on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the podcast app of your choice. Next time is episode 64, and we'll try to make sense of why there are more than 64 winners in Eurovision's 64-year history. 64! 64! 64!